UpToDate wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. For years when we talked about a funding crisis for public defenders, our focus was on Missouri. But the state of Missouri resolved the funding crunch in recent years, and the system is said to be in much better shape today. All the issues that once faced Missouri public defenders, low pay, staggering caseloads, burnout, and high stress, now are present in Kansas, and legal officials are saying a moment of reckoning has now arrived. With us to talk about the Kansas public defender system is Heather Cessna. She's executive director of the Kansas State Board of Indigence Defense Services that oversees the system. Heather, nice to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So how big of an issue do you have on your hands these days, Heather, and do we all have on our hands as a result? Um, It's a pretty significant issue. We are very much struggling to find enough qualified and available criminal defense counsel across the state to handle the volume of cases that are being charged by local prosecutors in Kansas. And what does that mean for your staff and the stress that's on, uh, on them these days? Um, It's a combination of issues. We have been making efforts over the course of the last few years to try to focus on maintaining our caseloads in our public defender's offices. But we have a whole uh, large swath of our communities across Kansas that actually are not covered by public defender's offices. They're mostly covered by our private attorneys who volunteer on panels to take appointed cases. And because of a you know combination of older attorneys retiring and leaving and our regional law schools not graduating as many law graduates and not as many of those people going into criminal law and moving out to some of these uh, more rural areas we've just got large swaths of of Kansas that are simply struggling to find any counsel at all let alone criminal defense attorneys and we don't have public defenders offices in those areas of the state to help try to pick up that slack and so as a result we've been essentially trying to find people who will travel large distances of you know 2 hours or more just one way to cover cases are you as a result are you seeing some uh uh, some folks who have been charged with crimes, are they going without uh, representation for weeks or months at a time? Uh, as far as I know, it has not gotten to that extent. Um, it definitely is taking us days, sometimes um, a week or so to try to find somebody uh, to take a case. Not all of those people are necessarily in custody during that time, mm-hmm. uh, but that has definitely been a, a real problem. Tell me a little bit more. Why are these huge caseloads a problem for our system? Well, it's a combination of factors. Uh, We, as a public defense system, have suffered for many years with high turnover rates. Uh, Back in 2019, we lost one out of every four public defenders. Uh, This past fiscal year in 2022, we lost one out of every five public defenders as a result of high caseloads and low pay. Um, We have tried to address those issues uh, with caseload controls in our public defenders' offices. And last year, the legislature did invest a significant amount of money in a pay scale adjustment so that we would have 
closer to pay parity with local prosecutors' offices, which has made a big difference in our turnover rates. But that loss of experienced attorneys over the course of many years takes its toll. It takes a long time to train somebody up fresh out of law school to be able to take get to a place where they can take high-level cases um, and, and to be able to carry a heavy caseload. And so in the areas where we have public defender's offices, um, our public defender's offices have not been able to maintain the kinds of caseloads that they should if they were able to maintain the experienced people over the course of the last five or six years. Uh, and then that has has sort of had a, a, a ripple effect um, with the local panel attorneys who then pick up uh, swaths of cases that they wouldn't otherwise have to. Um, How big of a caseload are we talking about for some of these public defenders, Heather? Um, when I first started in this position in 2019, um, uh, our public defenders were oftentimes with caseloads that were over 100 cases a piece, wow. um, which is a lot to handle at one time. It's a lot of clients to handle at one time. And really, the, the problem is, if those were all just low-level felonies, that would be different. But oftentimes, it, it included a huge percentage of those that were very high-level felonies. Um, we've definitely made a lot of strides in, in controlling those caseloads. We've used a lot of, uh, of help from uh, national standards that have been um, uh, looked at in other states, uh, national studies that have been done, I should say, in other states to, to look at caseload controls for public defenders like in New Mexico and Oregon and, and other states like that to be able to develop a case system, weighted case system in our public defenders offices. But the part of the problem is that Kansas just in general doesn't have enough counsel for any kind of law right now. I think the the uh, Supreme Court recently created its task force on rural representation in Kansas because we're lacking attorneys to do any sort of law in a lot of areas of our state, and especially for criminal defense, because there's a, a you know such a small subset of those people, and that's really about um, people not moving back to a lot of these communities and not replacing the people who are retiring and leaving the practice of law as they get older. Hmm. So when you talk about putting caseload controls on some of your public defenders, what does that mean? Explain that what what that is. So we spent um, about two years creating a weighted caseload system through a, uh, a committee that we uh, formed internally, uh, where we looked at a lot of these different studies that have been done in all these different states to look at, at better ways to count cases so that you have a more nuanced sense of how heavy someone's caseload is, because it's not just about the number of cases, it's also about the kinds of cases, the, the severity level, um, other factors that may significantly contribute to the amount of time that you need to spend on that case, either because it's uh, a large number of charges that are involved or a client that has severe mental health needs or, or those sorts of things. And so we developed a weighted caseload system within our public defender's offices to give us a more nuanced um, view of what those caseloads look like, both so that we can keep a monitor on individual attorneys' um, caseloads so that they're not being overwhelmed, right. uh, but also so that we could look at the offices as a whole to make sure that as an office that we either you know need to uh, add additional attorneys to that office to handle those caseloads or we need to talk about offloading cases from those um, offices if they don't have enough staff. And that's ultimately what we figured out is that we do have a – severe shortage of staffing in our public defender's offices in general. How many public defenders do we have in Kansas? Um, we have um, about 140. 
and uh, 45 um, public defenders in Kansas uh, that we have 244 staff um, throughout the state. That goes through, but not all of those are actually public defenders. So about 144 of those are public defenders. Um, If you could wave a magic wand, Heather, how many public defenders should we have? Well, that's a good question. So (laughs) based on our uh, current national standards, which are from 1973 um, and are very outdated, we're estimating that we need about 262 additional staffing in our public defender's office. So public defender's legal assistance, investigators, support staff, on top of what we currently have. Um, But I do know that the new national standards for public defense caseloads are due to come out very, very soon. And I think those numbers will very likely increase under that new standards when they come out. Just so I'm tracking you here, are you saying just in rough terms, you need to double your staff? In In a perfect world, it would be double what you have now? Yes. Okay. That just helps me. How do you, what do you do when you have a public defender who is, to use your word, overwhelmed? What, what, what happens then? So in a, in a place where we have a public defender's office, if, you know, an individual attorney is overwhelmed, we can look and see uh, whether or not there's other capacity in the office to take some of that caseload off that individual defender's uh, caseload. Um, but if the office as a whole is to a place where they can't um, ethically continue taking cases because otherwise that puts them all over a um, appropriate amount of cases for their time to be able to spend on them, then we have to look at alternatives. Um, in Kansas, which is unique to um, a lot of public defender systems, we do have regulatory authority to refuse cases based on uh, ethical caseloads. And so what happens there is a chief public defender will send a letter to, after consulting with me and getting permission, will send a letter to the local judge, uh, chief judge, and say, you know, we're at a capacity where we can't take cases for a certain level of time. Um, What happens then is if we have a conflicts public defender in the area, that conflicts public defender will take cases. If, If we don't have a conflicts public defender, um, and we have a contractor, then the contractor will take cases. If there's neither one of those in place, then those cases end up going to our panel of private attorneys that we have in each jurisdiction that have volunteered to take cases. How um, open is the private bar to accepting these cases, Heather? You know, they are a lot more open to accepting cases than they were even a couple of years ago. Hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, we were only paying $80 an hour for our uh, appointed cases. And that was really problematic because that $80 an hour is not take home pay that that's supposed to cover all of your overhead and, um, and things like that. And it just wasn't viable for large numbers of the private bar to be able to take a significant number of cases at that rate. The last two years in a row with the support of the governor's office and the legislature, uh, we have been able to up that hourly rate through a series of special budget provisos that have been funded by the legislature. So we went from $80 an hour to 100 and now 100 to 120 So we're currently paying $120 an hour, which has made it a lot more likely that people will mm-hmm. join our panels. The real problem, though, is that every attorney has a limit to how many cases they can take based on their caseload. And so when we do add new attorneys to those panels, um, even at that higher rate, there's only so many cases they can take before 
uh, they have to, you know, cry uncle and say, no, I can't, I can't take anything until I can clear some of the stuff I have first. And again, just to be, for the sake of clarity here, you're saying state government has taken steps in recent years to help, but it sounds like you're still just in need of, uh, the need of, uh, to hire a lot more public defenders. Yeah, over the course of the last two years, we've spent quite a bit of time over at the legislature um, talking about what specifically our problems are and making some pretty significant asks for funding um, in order to try to address these issues in um, raising our salaries for our public defenders so that we don't have the turnover rates that we used to, um, in asking for the additional money to up our rates that we pay to our uh, private assigned counsel so that we can get more of those people onto our panels, um, and you know, various other infrastructure requests and, and, and uh, additional funding for new staff so that we can add staff to our public defenders offices. Um, we've, and we've gotten some successes. I mean, certainly we haven't gotten everything that we've asked for. And the funding that we have gotten has been very significant as far as its impact on the agency. I think the problem is, is that our our problem with council shortages is still very much outpacing our ability to deal with that based on the funding and the staffing that we have currently. So we are still making a a fairly significant budget request this year. Hmm. You know, the tricky thing about this is, on at least some level, this shouldn't be seen as a frill or a luxury for state government to fund something like this, because this right to counsel is sort of baked into our Constitution, right? Uh, right there in the Sixth Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that must lead to a level of frustration for you when you don't see the resources coming down the pike that you feel you need to do the work you need to do. Well, it, it's frustrating from that end because obviously, I mean, I I have a responsibility to our public defenders who are our employees and our public defender offices and to our private defense counsel to get them the resources that they need to be able to do their job. And so that's frustrating. But more frustrating than that, too, on a certain level is that uh, is that quality and qualified public defense actually ends up saving the state money in the long run. I and mean, that's the kind of crazy part about this. That we How had is a, that? Well, for example, we had um, one of I was just talking with one of our, our public defenders in our appellate office the other day. And and she was telling uh, she was making a point that the that one office among three clients um, over the course of the last four months had managed to save uh, almost 24 years of prison time through a series of um, of appellate um, successes that they had gotten. Some of it was criminal history scores. Some of it was uh, substantively related to the convictions, but was able to save a significant amount of time off of those clients cases, which ended up basically saving in Kansas Department of Corrections costs almost $900,000 just on three clients Mm -hmm. in four months in one office. I mean, so those are the kinds of things that when the public defender's offices are working the way that they're supposed to, and when they're sufficiently staffed the way that they're supposed to, and when we've got enough counsel on our private bar to be able to handle cases, that we can actually use those resources to save money for the state and those down the line costs, you know, avoid things like ineffective assistance of counsel claims or wrongful conviction claims. So it, it pays to invest in that upfront. We'll be right back. I'm visiting with Heather Cessna. She's executive director of the Kansas State Board of Indigence Defense Services. We're talking about the Kansas public uh, defender system. To to what extent are your public defenders uh, made up of younger lawyers who are pretty fresh out of law school, Heather? 
Uh, a pretty pretty significant portion. I think when I looked at their our list, it was close to about sixty percent are wow. basically under five years of experience. Which in in that that really, especially during this period of time, because we haven't had a ton of jury trials and things moving the, the last couple of years because of COVID in many jurisdictions, um, that is a significantly fresh, <laughs> um, for lack of a better term, uh, set of attorneys. And so it, it takes time to get them to a place, you know, each individually where they can start taking those high-level cases and, um, you know, having such a large percentage of those public defenders in our agency, I mean, it really does show how much turnover we've had of our experienced defenders. I'm just wondering about your typical public defender fresh out of law school. I imagine, the you know, that person meets the real world pretty quickly in any sort of sense of, uh, of uh, you know, how, how they view the legal system and how critical it is takes on a new look pretty quickly. Yes. I mean, I definitely think that's true. I think the reality of what it's like to practice on the ground versus sort of the idealistic version that you talk about in your law school classes is, is definitely quite a, a, an awakening of sorts. Yeah. Um, why did you get into this line of work to begin with yourself? You know, when I went to law school, I was not really sure what kind of law I was going to practice. And I had the opportunity to clerk for a federal magistrate judge one summer doing um, some ineffective assistance of counsel claim work for the judge while I was um, in law school. And then right after that, I had the opportunity to, while I was at KU Law, work for what was then called the Polly Wilson Defender Project, but it's now called the Polly Wilson uh, Project for Innocence. And uh, in that capacity, I got to represent real clients. I got to uh, write appellate briefs, and I really liked that aspect of it. I liked um, being able to do that research and writing. And so right after law school, I actually ended up going into appellate defense work. And the thing about criminal law in you know most states, but particularly in Kansas, is that if you want to do criminal law, 85% of our criminal felony adult cases in Kansas require appointed counsel. So if you're going to do criminal defense, you're either going to go into the prosecution side or you're likely going to end up becoming a public defender or an appointed criminal defense attorney because so many of those criminal cases require appointed counsel. And so that's what I did. I joined our appellate office um, as an appellate defender for about 17 years. I'm wondering how much empathy, how much sympathy you find among uh, the executive branch of Kansas state government, among the legislative branch uh, in state government toward the plight that the public defender system uh, faces day in and day out. You know, every once in a while, I mean, you kind of get that person who's like, you know, well, why would we want to put more money towards, you know, people who've committed these horrible crimes and, and, but you just have to, to kind of help them come along to the idea that this is a constitutional right and it's constitutional right that's afforded to you, regardless of whether you're, you're guilty or innocent, you know, regardless of, of that status, because it requires you to have a sufficient advocate against whatever the state is trying to prove in order for our legal system to work. And you can't have confidence in somebody's conviction if their defense attorney wasn't there doing their best to test the state's evidence and make them answer for the for the charges that they're bringing and make sure that the um, that 
that part of the role that is necessary is being played adequately. Um, you know, one of the, I think if you talk to most prosecutors, they will tell you that one of the worst things that can happen for them is to have somebody on the other side as the defense counsel who is not resourced, resourced sufficiently right. or is not qualified to handle the case because if they do get a conviction, that's one of the things that will endanger that conviction sticking. And um, so I think it helps that we've been able to kind of help educate people about our role in the system, the necessity of it. I think it's also helped that we've had a lot of partners um, who've been willing to come forward and talk about the necessity of us in the system, um, including, you know, people like uh, Mark Bennett, who's the Sedgwick County District Attorney, who right. has filed testimony on our behalf and in, in favor of our budget. Well, and uh, it's been helped, too, by a number of high-profile cases that have really put a spotlight on what the impact of uh, an overwhelmed public defender system can have on a, on a high-profile criminal case, right? Yeah, I think there's definitely a renewed interest overall nationally, and particularly here in Kansas, on our criminal justice system and how it functions and how it's functioning you know, well or how it's not functioning well. Right. And so I think those conversations have definitely helped us in trying to get the gains that we have over the last couple of years. It's just really a matter of how are we going to solve this problem going forward? Are we going to have the resources to do it? And are we going to have those resources soon enough to be able to address the issue in the immediacy that we need them? Sounds good. Well, that's Heather Cessna. She's executive director of the Kansas State Board of Indigence Defense Services. Heather, good luck with your budget request. Thanks for coming on and explaining your plight to us. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.